Hi everybody and welcome back to the Dark Issues Podcast. Hope everybody is well. I'm Rob, your host, as always. Today we're going to talk about the life of a man that to some is a very embodiment of evil. The very incarnation of the devil himself. But to many Romanians he's viewed as a national hero. He was one of the most respected rulers of Wallachia, a true defender of Christianity, a great warrior and a brilliant politician who stood up against the tyranny and cruelty of the Ottoman Empire. In his time, he was known as Vlad the Impaler, thanks to his favourite form of execution. Today, we remember him as the inspiration for Bram Stoker's Dracula. So for today's episode, we will look at the bloody life of Vlad Tepes. So without further ado, sit back, relax, for more dark history. Vlad III, future prince of Wallachia, was born in the northern Romanian state of Wallachia in 1431. His father, Vlad II, would soon become ruler of Wallachia. In the year of his second son's birth, Vlad Senior joined a knightly society known as the Order of the Dragons. Upon his induction, the title of Dracul was bestowed on him. Dracul is ancient Romanian and it means dragon, but in modern day, this means devil. Of course, Vlad Jr. was given the title Son of Dracul, or Dracula. The world that Vlad was born into was a violent one. Constant disputes over territory and rulership plagued it. Something that was drummed into Vlad and his brother was that the family name and honour was everything. Therefore, the boys must push boundaries of their empire, regardless of the cost. The Order of the Dragons that Vlad Father was part of was committed to defending Christianity against the hated Ottoman Turks. At the time of his son's birth, Vlad II was commander of the mountain passes of Wallachia. Not much is known about Vlad's mother, At the time of his birth, his father was married to a Moldovan princess, but he had a string of mistresses. When Vlad's Vlad's father ascended to the Wallachian throne in 1436, Vlad and his brother Radu would spend most of their time in Taragoviste. The brothers would be educated by Greek and Roman scholars who had been brought from Constantinople, learning rudiments of mathematics, science, geography and languages such as Slovanic, German and Latin. Unfortunately, this lifestyle would come to an end when Vlad's father was ousted by a rival ruler who was in leagues with the Hungarians. After Vlad II's unceremonious ousting, he began to build an alliance with the Ottomans who agreed to regain the throne of Wallachia. This in turn would come with a price. In return, the Ottomans wanted Vlad II to pay tribute to Sultan Mehmet II, and he was forced to leave his two sons in the Ottoman court. Vlad, who protested, had no choice as his two sons were seized and made prisoners. While in captivity, the two brothers would become accustomed to the Turkish use of terror. 
Although they were well treated, this use of cruelty and terror as a weapon would serve Vlad the Impaler well during his life. While the boys were in the Ottoman court, they were given a further education, being instructed in logic, the Turkish language, and the teachings of the Quran, as well as extensive lessons in warfare and horsemanship. The two brothers had a polar opposite reaction to their life in captivity. Radu, Vlad's younger brother, embraced his new life, eventually converting to Islam and entering the service of the Ottoman court. Vlad, on the other hand, well, he resisted and was harshly punished for his surly attitude towards the Ottoman teachings. Eventually, with Turkish help, Vlad's father regained the Wallachian throne. Unfortunately, this didn't last long. In 1447, rebels backed by Hungary attacked, forcing Vlad II and his oldest son, Mercia, to flee. Both were eventually captured and put to death. Next in line was Vlad III's older brother, but he had become a monk and lived in a monastery, leaving Vlad the rightful heir at 16 years of age. By this time, the Ottomans had grown quite fond of the often hostile teenager, and they vowed to help him regain his throne. In 1448, they overthrew the rebel ruler and Vlad was installed as the new Wallachian king. Like his father before him, Vlad's rule was short-lived. As soon as the Ottomans went home, the Hungarians were back and after two months, Vlad was forced to flee to Moldova. For the next three years, he lived under the tutelage of his uncle, Prince Bogdan II. But like a lot of things in his life, this didn't last long, because Prince Bogdan was assassinated in 1451, causing Vlad to flee again to his cousin, Prince Stephen. The two men continued to travel, ending up in Transylvania, where they came under the mentorship of John Hunyadi, who was a Hungarian warrior. Hunyadi despised the Ottoman Empire. Quick caveat here. You know how I like a caveat. Hunyadi was quite an interesting fella. He led a revolt against the Ottomans, which prevented them from invading Hungary for 60 years. Anyway, back to the story. Hunyadi previously supported the new ruler of Wallachia, a man by the name of Vladislav II. But their relationship would sour due to Vladislav's appeasement of the Turks. And when Vladislav's army invaded and burnt several Transylvanian villages, Hunyadi's patience ran out. Hunyadi looked at the young Vlad to take back the throne that rightfully belonged to him. In the same year, 1453, Constantinople fell to the Ottomans. Suddenly, the whole of Europe was there for the taking. The security of Wallachia was now the main priority, as it stood between the Ottomans and the rest of Europe. So in 1456, Vlad and his army invaded Wallachia, he met Vladislav on the field of battle and killed the usurper in hand-to-hand -hand combat. With the death of Vladislav, Vlad would be restored to the rightful place and over the next six years he would rule with an unprecedented bloodlust that would cement his name in the annals of merciless monarchs. By now, the Ottoman threat had become ominous and in 1460, Pope Pius II called for a new crusade to reclaim Constantinople and push the Ottomans back into the desert. 
The crusade lasted three years, with little gain or support, which emboldened the Sultan to capture the last Serbian city of Smederovo. The only shining light was Vlad's defence of his country. During this campaign, a Hungarian general named Mihail Silagi was taken prisoner. A general who was known to Vlad thanks to his help putting down a revolt in 1458. When Vlad learned he had been sawed in half, Vlad vowed to teach the Ottomans a lesson. In 1461, the Ottomans were slowly closing in on Wallachia. The Sultan went as far as claiming it part of the empire. He would send envoys to Vlad's castle in order to collect 10,000 ducats along with 500 men for the Ottoman army. The Sultan massively underestimated young Vlad. When the envoys refused to remove their turbans as a sign of respect, Vlad had his guards drive nails through the turbans into their skulls. The incredulous Sultan sent his army across the Danube to seize what he wanted. Vlad in turn sent his men to meet them, capturing as many Turks as he could. These unfortunate souls would meet the sharp end of a red-hot stake. Towards the end of 1461, Vlad wrote to the Sultan, telling him he couldn't afford his tribute, but was willing to meet Mehmed in Constantinople to negotiate. The Sultan, who was aware of Vlad's alliance with the Crusade, decided to take Wallachia's ruler by force. One general and a thousand strong cavalry unit were sent to meet Vlad with the intentions of an ambush. Vlad, the ever-elusive one, got wind of this and sent the army to attack. The Turks were killed to a man, with the majority suffering the fate of Vlad's favourite pastime. This battle is also the first reported use of gunpowder in Europe. With his blood up, Vlad crossed the Danube and took the fight to the Ottomans. They would attack Ottoman holdings in Bulgaria, Serbia and the Black Sea. He would use his knowledge of the Turkish language to open up gates of towns and cities, then his armies would pour over the horizon. Once they entered, they would go on killing frenzies, slaughtering men, women and children. Over a period of two weeks, he had taken his men 500 miles and killed 23,000 people. On news of the slaughter, the Sultan ordered his Grand Vizier, Muhammad, with 18,000 troops to destroy the Wallachian port of Brela. Vlad would intercept the force and with his 30,000 strong army, utterly destroy the Turks killing some 10,000 men. These quick-fire victories garnered Vlad a heroic reputation in Europe. Equally, his tendency to impale people caused the Turks to be intimidated, with many fleeing to Anatolia from Europe. With this, the Sultan was forced to cancel his campaign in Greece and focus his 150,000 men solely on Vlad. Outmanned and outgunned, Vlad garnered a scorched-earth tactic poisoning wells and evacuating people and animals on his way. He would wage a guerrilla war with the Ottoman and use a primitive form of bio-warfare by sending plague-infected people to Turkic towns to infect as many people as possible. These tactics would work, but they were merely an annoyance to the Sultan and his vast army and steadily it moved forward to Taragavishti and Vlad's castle. When the Ottomans arrived, Vlad and his 24,000 men were holed up in his mountain refuge just outside the city. Vlad, who was faced with an encirclement by the Sultan's army, 
did something quite amazing, even for his standards. Leaving his men behind, he disguised himself and walked into the Turkish camp. When he arrived, he quickly picked out the tent of the Sultan. He also found out that the men were ordered to remain in their tent to prevent panic in the event of an attack. Vlad would then slip quietly into the night and return to his men. Here, he would set about planning a surprise attack on the Sultan's army with a personal mission to drive a dagger into the heart of Mehmet. On the 17th of June, 1462, he divided his forces into two and attacked from the north and the south. This attack would inflict heavy losses on the Turks and within an hour, 15,000 had been slaughtered at the cost of 4,000 men. The only miscalculation of Vlad's otherwise crushing victory was he had chosen the wrong tent and could not find the Sultan. As dawn broke, Vlad called off the attack, and he and his men melted back into the mountains. So despondent was the Sultan, he and his army retreated back beyond the Danube. However, his generals would convince him the victory was still in their grasp, so the army would turn around and then march back to Terragovishti, where the Turks found an abandoned city. They also found a field of 20,000 impaled Turkish troops. With nothing to do in the empty city, the Sultan installed Radu as the leader of Wallachia and returned to retrace his steps to the Danube. As Radu solidified his position by taking his forces to Vlad's castle and encircling it, he would force Vlad to flee to Hungary. Legend has it, Vlad's wife was left behind and she vowed to feed the fish with her body before she'd fall into Turkish hands. She would then throw herself from the wall into the river below. The Sultan went on to Brela and destroyed it, killing hundreds. While in Hungary, Vlad enlisted the help of a close ally to regroup and obtain a larger force. He planned to regain the Wallachian throne from his brother. However, this, like many things, would be doomed to fail, as his close ally betrayed him by organising an ambush and the subsequent arrest of Vlad. Vlad would spend four years in a prison in Hungary, marry the sister of his former ally and live in Pest under strict instructions not to return to Wallachia. Ever the disobedient one, Vlad sought help from former commanders and raised an army of Hungarians, Wallachians, Moldovans and Transylvanians. Vlad would set out with this makeshift army in the middle of 1476. By now, his brother, Radu, was dead and replaced by Prince Basab the Elder. Before Vlad reached Teragovishti, the ruler and his army fled. Vlad was placed back on the throne. His army was largely dissolved by 4,000 men. When the Turks heard, they marched on Wallachia and after two months, they soundly defeated Vlad. Vlad Tepesh's death is surrounded in enigma. Some sources state he was killed fighting the Turks in early 1477. Contemporary Turkish sources claim he was killed, decapitated and his head sent to Constantinople. His head was said to have been preserved in honey and placed on display for everyone to see the impaler was dead. During his reign of terror, Vlad impaled more than 20,000 people 
beheaded 5,000 and a further 10,000 were burned at the stake. Oh, and the Turks who had the turbans nailed to the head. He also had them boiled alive and cannibalised. Yet after all this death and suffering, he is still revered in his home country as a national hero, a stalwart who stood up to the Ottomans. And I guess it all depends on your perspective really. So there we go, Vlad the Impaler. I really must say I find this guy so interesting. On one hand, yes, he was a murderous, cruel ruler, but who wasn't back then? I mean, even the most sane rulers cut the head off one or two people. This guy, he managed to bring the mighty Ottoman Empire to its knees with fear alone. Yes, his methods were extreme to say the least, but he stood up at a time when Europe was there for the taking. He personally, I'm in the great leader camp. If he would have been an English king, he would be revered for keeping the Ottomans out. One thing I did notice with this story though, is the fact that there were so many the seconds, Vlad the second, Vladislav the second, Mehmet the second, etc. Just a coincidence I suppose. If you liked the episode, please drop us a 5 star review. If you think your friends and family may like it, share them with them. Links to TikTok, YouTube, Insta and the show emails are below. If you've been listening for a while, why not subscribe? Please do it and that way you'll never miss an episode. So with all that out of the way, please join me for episode 14 and more Dark History. <laughs>